Welcome, everybody, to uh, the Starfinder Ask Anything panel, where we're going to answer your questions about anything and everything that has to do with Starfinder. I am Jake Tondro. I'm a developer for both the Starfinder and the Pathfinder games. And uh, I'm here with some of my fantastic, uh, talented colleagues. So let me introduce them really quickly. Joe, you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, I'm Joe, uh, Starfinder's lead designer. Uh, I've been with Paizo for a few years now. Uh, was an editor on Starfinder for the core rulebook and have snuck my way up into uh, developing and being behind the scenes on books and rule, especially rules and mechanics. So I'm here to answer your very difficult mechanics questions <laughs> and uh, your, your softballs as well. Thanks for having me. John? I'm John Compton. I'm the Starfinder senior developer. I do work on the hardcover book line and have been for about two years uh, before moving over from organized play. Uh, and I work on just about anything and I cover a lot of rules and setting stuff. And Jenny. Hey, so uh, I've been here. I've seen people in chat a few times. I am Jenny Jarzabski. I was very recently the Starfinder Society developer in charge of Starfinder Organized Play. Uh, it seems like a lot of us find our way um, I'll find our way here from there. And uh, I am currently, uh, I will be rather taking on the role of developing modules and APs. So I will now be a Starfinder developer and probably stepping in to help out with like hardcovers and things like that as the team needs. And it's super exciting to all of us to have Jenny join the full-time Star Team. Aw, like, yeah, thank you. I, I, I cannot tell you how delighted we are to have you uh, uh, joining. Aww. I mean, it's bad for OP because we are stealing you like burglars. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, it, it, it was destined to be because it's like, you know, all the Starfinder people have a name that starts with J now, except Thirsty. That's he's right. Still kind of the, he's that ghost in the drift that's just kind of like sometimes, you know, he's there in our creative meetings. Meetings, but he also goes to Pathfinder like like you do now, I guess. So uh, he's, you know. <laughs> that, that ghost in the drift. Jenny, just call it Canada. It's fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you know what's behind the real drift crisis. Dang it, I spoiled it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, so, so speaking of the drift crisis, this is a, something that a lot of you <laughs> probably have questions about. I wanted to just make sure that everyone knows, like, this is a place that you can you can ask some of those questions and we can talk about it. The Drift Crisis is a big hardback that's coming out uh, next year, but it's just the anchor for a line-wide crossover event that will include APs and one-shots and organized play. And it's all telling not just even one fantastic big story, it's actually telling dozens of individual stories and your stories. So all of that, you're going to have tools to do your own stuff with Drift Crisis, to make your own stories, maybe in uh, you, either at their, your own table or in the Starfinder Infinite setting. Um, and, but we'll also have APs that kick it off and end it. And it's, it's gonna, there's a lot going on. So you'll be able to play in kind of the, um, the canonical drift crisis, but you'll also have infinite space to do your own stuff with it at your own tables. So if, if we, we haven't had a chance to really kind of unpack the drift crisis much uh, for fans, so uh, hopefully uh, you'll have some questions about it and we can get into it a, a little bit today. Um, all right, so let's let's start right away. We've got a list of questions already uh, that we've assembled from Discord and we'll have more uh, adding on. So please don't hesitate to throw those into chat. We've got folks watching that and monitoring that. So let's 
let's dig into it. Um, so one of my this one of our questions from Discord. One of my favorite things in Starfinder as a GM and a player is the profession skill. It's really useful and can be really fun for role play. What have been some of the Starfinder staff's favorite usages of the profession skill? Sounds like it's to all of us. So anybody want to jump in? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so, uh, uh, <laughs> we, apparently all of us. John, please. Uh, one, of the, one of the ones that uh, is kind of a carryover from Pathfinder as well that's always been exciting is um, basically like profession sewer maintenance worker or something like that, where it's, right. you know, you're always going, whatever RPG you're doing, if it has any ounce of heroics, somehow that heroics ends up getting flushed down the sewer. And so sewer engineer <laughs> or sanitation engineer just finds uses all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Joe? There's always a sewer level. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's a profession gambler. Uh, I got to do a cool casino thing in uh, an AP I wrote and get it coming up with ways to use that to give PCs advantages uh, was a lot of fun. Also, I would like to make a character one day that has, uh, it is in Sundivers, yes. Um, profession secret shopper, I think would be cool, like uh, ways to. <laughs> <laughs> I like we, I like the fact that we can use modern professions, right? Like, there there's a gambling car in the Great Grav Train robbery yeah. uh, adventure, and we point people to Sun Divers for the gambling rules that you wrote. So awesome. uh, those those live again, Jenny. Uh, oh gosh, there's just there are so many possibilities. Like, um, I like things like profession, like influencer and and like blogger and stuff. I mean, we don't really technically have those listed in the rule book but i mean you know you could do it but i think my favorite story is that uh I, I was tempted to write for my first starfinder society scenario back when i was still just a freelancer not just a freelancer because our freelancers are awesome but uh i i remember i wrote a scenario for john actually for pathfinder society and i tried to put professions or no 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 it was the other way around i tried to put profession sommelier in this because this was the this was the Invar Tam scenario and his mom had this like expensive wine in her office because I was like how do I give loot out like they're not going to rob the place blind they're trying to do like an info heist and Thirsty was like that's not a profession that's weird we can't do that and so then John was like well, would you like to do that in Pathfinder society and I was like oh yes I would but yeah you can make you can make psalms in Starfinder if you want that's fine I support it <laughs> yeah the uh when, when I was when I was doing Five for Your Die, of course, that's focused on professions, right? Like it's really kind of a working class story. And so what I loved is that I was able to use the free trader archetype that appears in Character Operations Manual. And it specifically allows you to reroll some of your profession skills when you're doing stuff like negotiating for cargo. And so what I wanted to do was make those profession skills really useful and something that people would be rolling like multiple times per game session, right? Like if I can make it really handy and make it useful and make it something that it's not just a throwaway skill on your character sheet. So like, oh, well, I spent I spent skill ranks on this just because my character should have it. Eh, that's that's bullshit. You should, you should get to roll that. You should, that should be useful and, and helpful to you in the game. So that was really fun to get to do. All right, who invented the Goss Clause? Joe, who created the Goss Clause? I'm uh, not sure, actually. They appeared in an AP. If only we had and, Jason Keeley here for us. And the question is, Is are there plans to include the Gosclaw species from the Against the Aeon Throne in organized play? Jenny? 
Um, I, I actually have a whole volume or a whole volume, a whole document of species that we've, we've gone through and looked at all of the, uh, actually, I can, I can probably look it up and, and like come back to this in chat, but we, uh, Alex and I went through and we tried to, you know, take all of the, all the new species from hardcovers and from adventure paths and get them together and say like, okay, which one of these would make sense to always be available and assign, uh, ACP values for the others. So I, I remember, I'm sure it's on there. I can go check check it out for you. There are very few that are just straight up like this will never happen except maybe right. a like a charity, you know, like you can donate to charity at a con and get a boon or, you know, go to a special event and get it as a prize essentially. But most will at some point cycle into use. So uh, come back to me on that. I'm going to actually look that up real quick. <laughs> um, and just looking at the uh, credits page of of um, Against the Anthrone Volume 2, it looks like all of those yeah. uh, Creatures were invented by Saif Ansari. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, uh, right, so. it, oh, yeah, it just reminds me that we did a, a cool mini survey recently that was like, tell us about the playable species you, you want to know more about in Starfinder. We did that for a reason uh, that we're not going to talk about, but uh, one <laughs> of the many things that lets us do is say, what, what are people into and what do people want to see more about? Um, and so that's uh, that's something that we look to when we're just even just illustrating uh, new options, player options. We can go to that that sort of list ranked by by what people want to see and say, okay, well, I wanted to illustrate something that wasn't a human this time anyway, so maybe I'll do a Gossclaw Technomancer or something. And we're hoping to do a lot more of those little surveys in the future. They're pretty easy to do, and they get us a lot of great feedback from from fans and players. Yeah. Uh, all right. How powerful is the Dominion of the Black in Starfinder? Are they a galactic threat like the Swarm, or more like a controls a few systems like the Islanti Star Empire? John, strong feelings. I feel that uh, most of our threats really are are a little bit variable in how much of a how, what their power level really is. Like the Swarm and the Islanti Star Empire you know, might be compared like equally just depending upon uh, how they show their ambition and, and project power. I've seen Dominion of the Black as being kind of similar, but uh, whereas the Swarm is a very aggressive, whereas the Zanti Star Empire is fairly sinister and, 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 and cunning in how it goes about its business, the Dominion of the Black strikes me as a little bit more of a, a lurking or sleeping beast where it's out there, it's occasionally doing its thing um, on the fringes, and we hope that it never really turns its attention inward because at that point it will become one of those big threats. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, I'm picking a question which I'm gonna answer because so the, <laughs> uh, mod <laughs> moderator's choice. I've always enjoyed the idea of the other planes of existence, though we don't see a whole lot of it in Starfinder outside the drift. Are there any plans for a book dedicated to the different planes of both the inner sphere and outer sphere? Okay, so, Short answer and long answer. We've talked about it. Uh, we don't have anything. We can't. We don't have anything to announce. We, we we've we've talked about it. But what I can say is is that you will see a lot of planar travel and interesting stuff like that in the upcoming Drift Crashers adventure path. Um, we 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 had announced this a little bit yesterday. Uh, you'll be traveling to out. Uh, you'll start in the drift, but when the drift crashes, your characters are hurled out to other planes. And of course, if you remember how the drift works in our setting. 
the drift engine can't get you anywhere if you're on an outer plane. The, the drift engines only work between the material plane and the drift. And so if you're trapped on an outer plane like hell or one of anyone or even the astral or, or, or the ethereal planes, your drift engine is useless. You can't you. So instead, how, how do you leave the plane that you're at and and um, try to find your way back to some place that your drift engine will actually work? So we've had a lot of fun kind of brainstorming how that might work. Um, there's only three planes that really get a lot of support in Starfinder so far. And that's the elemental plane of fire because uh, we got a write up on it in uh, Dawn of Flame. The, um, uh, the negative energy plane gets a big write up in uh, Horizons of the Vast and, um, and the shadow plane because of the signal of screams. We'd like to expand that. We would like to give you guys more support for planar travel. It's a fantastic part of the setting. Everybody loves to do it. It's, it's traditionally been reserved for high level adventure, but I don't think that needs to stay true. I, I think that we, we need to make it so that your, you know, second, third, fourth, even first level characters can have interesting adventures on the other planes. And let's, let's have games in all those places. High levels are anyway, relevant so to the starship. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, this this question is from before Gen Con, so obviously nothing has been announced yet. But can we expect more lore books akin to Near Space and Pact Worlds? Joe, I know you've had feelings about. How yeah, I'd love books. to. <laughs> <laughs> I was raising my hand to jump in. Yes, so yeah. I I do have strong feelings that our books are kind of we we really work hard to make our books for everyone, uh, and the divide between sort of a lore book and a mechanics book, uh, the line just gets blurrier and blurrier. I'd like there to not be a line, and I feel like we've done a good job with that of late. So you will find, even in our books that explore setting heavy places uh, or setting heavy topics, uh, you'll still find tons of player options. You'll find lots of uh, things that you can use, whether or not you use the official setting, right? Uh, without really having to file off too many serial numbers. Um, and so, you know, that that's reflected in the fact that we will have player options available throughout the books. As you're flipping through, you see, oh, there's stuff for a mechanic. There's feats for everyone. There's spells. There's, you know, new equipment. There's just new stuff that we, we want to tie to the setting, but not in a way that restricts its use, but that imbues it with flavor so that you can use it. So even when we do a book that seems to be focused on uh, setting, or in, in the case of Drift Crisis, which is coming in events, uh, there's still going to be a ton of stuff that everyone can use for characters of any kind again, even if they're not necessarily involved in that setting or that event. Um, so uh, I guess I, that's a very long way of saying, yes, there will be lore books because <laughs> almost all of our books will have lots of lore. The Galaxy Exploration Manual is a notable exception, right? Because that one is all about creating your own lore, creating your own worlds um, and stepping outside of the Starfinder's official setting um, while sort of remaining in it, uh, using pieces of it as needed. But uh, other than that, I think most most books, and I'd love to hear from my colleagues here uh, what they think the answer to this question is, too. Joe, or are we John, or John or, or Jenny? Yeah, so um, more lore books, absolutely. The galaxy is a big, big place, and there's always more for us to establish. Um, yeah. one, of the, one of the considerations, though, is that it's very it's very easy for us to fall into a pattern of constantly looking beyond where we already have been and sort of once we cover a place like the packed worlds in our packed worlds book we say all right we've done that you know spike the football run on onto near space um 
But Starfinder really thrives when we're also returning to and revisiting um, some of our favorite locations and places that we've yeah. already covered. And you'll find adventure paths tend to do that, you know, touching upon major touchstones within the packed worlds of Iscarium or more. Um, but I think that also a bunch of our upcoming books are going to be doing that as well. And like, as I started to hint at a little bit uh, yesterday about Drift Crashers, or that's not Drift Crashers, sorry, Drift Crisis. Now you got me doing it, Jake. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, a, something like the Drift Crisis is an event that affects almost everybody. So you can bet that we're going to be looking at how something like the Drift Crisis is affecting, really just name a place, and probably the answer is sure. Um, and how you can incorporate those locations into the Drift Crisis. Also, the answer is like, thumbs up, go for it. Um, because just open up new opportunities. If I can hook in a question that I just saw float by in chat uh, from sure. TRDG11 asked, uh, was it ever hinted at before anywhere about the drift crisis in lore or an AP that may have been missed? Um, that's that's a great question. And, uh, you know, again, without spoiling too much, uh, we definitely made sure to hook this event into the past. And also, we may be, you know, it, with all our books, we're always dropping hints about future things that are coming. And we're always looking to the next thing because uh, we're working on these books long before they come out, of course, and working on them simultaneously. So it, it actually lends itself well to saying, let's let's link this together in a chain that's going to feel uh, satisfying to people who have played APs or who have uh, read closely the lore of certain packed worlds or near space worlds or worlds in the vast or certain species or anything really. Um, there's always there's always that drive on our end to link those things together. And like John was saying, sort of revisit things that we've established and that people respond to, which we learn about from events like this and from surveys and all sorts of places. So thanks to everyone for being vocal about what you're interested in so that we can add that to what we're interested in and, and make this even better. Jenny? Uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask if I could grab a uh, a quick question too. Like yeah, I know sure. I didn't really answer that one, but uh, I saw one and I just don't want to forget it because I thought it was really go good. Um, so uh, let's see. I'm going to go back to where it was. Now I can't. Now I can't find it. Someone. Oh yeah, JW Mangram asks, um, how do you envision the upper levels of the ring on Absalom Station? If you look up, are you looking into space or a ceiling? And, you know, the art has this like dome that's over the station and it's like a protective dome. And so I explore some of this in the Starfinder Society uh, intro year of the data scourge that just came out um, number four dash one in the Starfinder Society numbering. Uh, you, you get to see a little bit of like a cinematic as like this dome that covers the uh, that kind of protects. Absalom Station is kind of like shutter, like stuttering due to like the digital, you know, virus that's that's corrupted everything and that the PCs are trying to, you know, troubleshoot and deal with. I, I definitely think that if you look up, you would just see like this kind of like, um, I feel like they could change it, right? Because like sometimes it could be like an opaque ceiling and it could mimic, maybe it could mimic like the, the stars or the sky or something like that. But that's how I've always envisioned it anyway. And then it could be made transparent and you would see like space outside. Um, and I guess if the if the shield came up, it might be more of an opaque shield. But uh, I don't know what the other other folks might have yeah. slightly different answers. Well, one thing we know from the Pact Worlds write up is that uh, Absalom Station does have a day night cycle um, or an artificial day night cycle. So um, I suspect some of that is done through the dome um, and just 
how they change the opacity or luminescence of it, et cetera. So we've got a, a couple of short questions here that we can answer pretty swiftly. Um, we had a question about Drift Crashers. This is from the Howl Wizard. It was said already Drift Crashers is a three volume AP. Does it start with the pieces at level one? And what level does it take you to? I can answer that. Yes, it starts at level one. <laughs> uh, level, uh, Jenny's book is level three. And Ron's book, uh, the third volume is level five to six. So it should end you at level seven. Um, when I, we were throwing around, kind of, Drift Crisis was this wonderful, fantastic experience where we were all kind of just brainstorming it. And at one point, Joe compared it to like a giant menu of possible stories and everyone could kind of come in and pick which part they wanted off that menu, right? Like what, what, and, and I was there with the red pen to circle the low level AP. That, that's what I wanted because we, we know that like the, the three volume low level APs are very popular. Against the Aeon Throne is one of our most popular APs. People play it a lot. And they and, and I, I think that's because it's shorter. It's only three books instead of six. So there's, it's easier to find the time to do it. It's level one, so you can start right away. And it's in print, unlike some of our other level one adventures like Dead Sons, which uh, is just hard to find now because it was our very first adventure path. And the, the, the first book is as out of print. So I wanted to do this because I have one simple goal. I want to make games people play. <laughs> and, and if I make a if I make a three book level one AP, the, there's much more chances people will actually play it. So yeah. Um, Joe, I really like Deck of Many Worlds. Yeah. This is a question from uh, Turin <laughs> DM. I really like Deck of Many Worlds. Will we have a new expansion deck with new options? Uh, yes, please, let's do that. Uh, there's no plans to. Wow, I just saw John. John. Careful, John. There's something on your. Okay, no, you'll be fine. <laughs> new... I welcome I'm you, here John. For these <laughs> I just thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thank you, Jake, for giving me the opportunity to not shut up about the deck of many worlds, which I'll talk about at any drop of a hat. But uh, it, it is the thing that lets you make new worlds and uh, come up with adventure hooks and their combinations. Just inspire a lot of interesting stories. I would love to do another one. Uh, I don't think we have any plans to do that right now, but uh, as long as people keep asking, the odds go up that we will get to do some kind of expansion or some some other thing. Uh, so thanks for asking. Yeah, sure. Uh, Jenny, you're our new AP developer, so let's see what you think. Uh, this is from TRG, uh, TRDG11. Could there be a Battlestar Galactica-type military, military AP at some point sooner or later? You know, um, that it's funny because I that is actually not not necessarily that exact flavor, but a military style AP is something that I'm very interested in. I don't know if that will be what we do next or if we ever if we ever get to it or if we, you know, meld that in with some other concepts, but that is something that I I very much would like to see. And uh so yeah, I mean, if you're interested in that, just stick around because it, it may happen. Chances are. John, I have a question for you about Tech Revolution. Uh, this came from our Discord channel uh, before the panel started. Uh, and it's about the Technomancer, the alternative class features for the Technomancer in Tech Revolution. And as I understand it, the, the Technomancer has a drone option in there. How does that differ from the mechanics drone? And how does it not make a mechanic uh, superfluous in any group? 
I can't. Yeah, so, I can't um, look at you without laughing with the with the this squid on your head. I'm being very serious. I have both this this squid that Linda bought for me at some point, as well as this otter that I was provided as a part of a a charity um, game at one point. Uh, so, the Technomancer has yeah has a drone option in Tech Revolution. Um, you give up a portion of your spellcasting potential. You give up uh, a bunch of your spell cache and spell capacitor. Um, but in turn, you get a mechanic drone. And you get uh, far less of the automatic advancement that a mechanic with a drone would normally have, where you are provided, where you're getting like drone mods every two levels or so. Um, and instead, you are able to spend some of your magic hacks that you would normally gain at second level and every three levels thereafter to buy up some drone mods. So that at the very least, you're not uh, you're not limited to your starting mods, but you um, aren't going to match what a mechanic with a drone could quite do. So um, a little bit less spellcasting versatility, a little bit more uh, playing around with drones and whatnot, and also expanding our drone options that they apply to more than just one class, which is always fantastic. There goes the squid. Uh, so the thing that is uh, <laughs> relevant, though, that I've seen uh, brought up a couple of times is that the way that uh, Technomancer option is written is that um, it doesn't say anything about the mechanics custom rig. And the mechanics custom right. rig is mentioned every once in a while in uh, the drone entry uh, as a way of like, doing things like you can use your custom rig in order to swap out the weapon with an hour of time. And like the custom rig is sort of a formality for the mechanic in that case, yeah. but it's a, it's a kind of technicality for the technomancer. And that is like limiting the technomancer in that way is not what we intended. So that's something we'll probably have to revisit and just file a little, file a little flag for. Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, Joe, uh, question for you on yeah. uh, galaxy exploration manual and galaxy exploration yeah. manual. The Aslanti Star Empire is listed on the same intergalactic tech level as the Civ Dominion and the Kishali. Is this referring mm -hmm. to their current capabilities or the certain the certain plot device engine uh, that exists in the uh, against the Eon Throne? Are they are they just registered as intergalactic because of that one thing, or is the whole empire at that level of technology? I, I appreciate that sort of spoiler free question <laughs> to our questioner. So thank you for that. Um, those. This, this is in reference to a section in the tech section, the technology section of the Galaxy Exploration Manual that tells you how to, gives you tips on how to run a high tech, a medium tech, or a low tech uh, setting, or, you know, world or whatever. And uh, there is a chart in there that, that talks about different tech levels that a place might have and gives examples of what sort of technology they might have access to, and also some in-setting examples that we've published. And so this question is asking, right, uh, the Kishali and the Civ are, are they are they are we talking when we say that they're at the highest tech level? Are we talking about their current capabilities or at the height of their power? And I think it's more the height, sort of the the most advanced that they got, because it is the it is listed as the most advanced. So uh, you know, as far as we know, <laughs> the Kishali aren't around anymore, uh, at least not in their their highest tech level form. So. Yeah, that should be an answer, I think. <laughs> so this is kind of for everybody. Uh, I thought maybe we start with Jenny. Uh, the vet, the Vesk, seem to become yes. more evil and oppressive the more we hear about them. Is that an intentional change? And was previous material based on the fact that the Vesk and the Pact Worlds kind of have to work together? 
because they are scared of the swarm. Are, are, are we making the Vesk more evil? Uh, or have they always been this way and we just didn't know? Jenny, what do you, you think? Know uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I feel like the Vesk have always had some some practices that uh, their government has been oppressive. And I think it's something that maybe now the Pact Worlds is able to think about more because like, like you'd mentioned, without the immediate threat of the swarm, there's not like an ongoing, like, well, we have to unify even if we don't agree with you to, to basically save, you know, all all civilization against this like ravenous force so now that they don't have a common enemy they're starting to be cracks uh i, I see it as there could be cracks in the uh, in the alliance maybe there's not cracks in the alliance but some pact worlders are not happy with it and maybe others are, are fine with it maybe some ignore it i mean you know we never we never uh let politics get into games like there's never <laughs> there's never any politics <laughs> in games <laughs> um but i i do i definitely think the vesk have always been that way and i feel like we're just seeing more. And uh, I feel like especially in Starfinder society, which will hopefully be bleeding more into the setting as a whole, because it is part of the setting, that we will start to see some opportunities for maybe maybe some changes or attempts at changes within the Vescarium, or at least questioning of that that regime. Yeah, yeah the guys have yeah, sci-fi oftentimes depends on that, like, hard choices um, sort of situation or, or difficult bedfellows. And the Vescarium is very much one of those for the Pact Worlds, um, where we needed the Vescarium because the swarm was a mutual threat. And now that we've had, you know, a decade or two of calming things down and, and self-reflection, we can look back at the Vescarium and be like, I mean, we fought really well together alongside one another, but, whew, dang, have you seen what they do on... I don't know, name any planet. Um, and so I, I think that there's always room for um, for examination of some, a place like the Vescarium, um, both from inside and from outside and, and determining what's the best fit for your campaign, especially because like for some, the Vescarium is that unshakable rock of, of the galactic defense. Um, for others though, the Vescarium is going to strike you as it's going to be like that group that uh, that you want to fight against. It's the tyranny to overthrow, and it occupies just just enough of a gray area for you to use it however you like. Um, but but we're very cognizant of its of its tricky reputation. Joe. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think near space lays out pretty well tries to tries to tell that story of how how can this be a core species available to you in our core rulebook and also be the part of the most evil empire <laughs> like i think there's plenty to uh learn from our near space entry on the viscarium in particular uh, which was yes looked at very closely for those very issues <laughs> yeah the the Ves the viscarium has always been lawful evil Right, like even from the from the core rulebook, their, their oh, yeah. patron deity is lawful evil. I, I think they've always been this bad, but a lot of it was just we didn't <laughs> have the room. Like if you if you yeah. think about the Vesk, get one page in the core rulebook, you know, um, and we just didn't have room to really expand it. And when we got that room, we got a chance to really show the the fact that the Vescarium is a military dictatorship that they've conquered every sapient species in their home system. 
And, and we can come up with a lot of excuses for that. Like, oh, the skittermanders were just trying to help or the Ishtikris are easy to get along with. I mean, but it's still a military dictatorship that conquered every species in its system, right? Like the, those, those, yeah. those specifics do not change the fact that we don't, we have two empires in our setting, the Aslanti Star Empire and the Vescarium, and they are both tyrannical. They, there have, empires are not always tyrannical. But ours are, <laughs> and uh, and it, it's it's interesting that that we have that similarity. You know, they're both they're both designed like their economies and their governmental structures are designed to be constantly conquering new territory. We made it very clear in the near in near space that that um, the Vescarium's current sort of pacifistic interregnum where it, it does not have a military dictator, single person in charge of the entire Vescarium, is is an incredibly rare exception that's only happened twice in the entire history of the Vescarium. So uh, it, it's, I think they've always been this bad. We just didn't have room to show it to you until until we had books like Near Space. Yeah. Um, and actually, Jake, if I could cut in, because that, that made me yeah, think sure. about something, uh, that made me think about something, which is that, you know, if you even look at the Vescarium government, and if someone covered this, like, you know, forgive me, because I'm, I'm a little in and out with con exhaustion and excitement, but uh, their, their yeah. actual leaders are called high despots. Like, I mean, it's right there <laughs> in the name that they're tyrants. Like, this is not a, yeah. you know, a nice government. But at the same time, no culture is a monolith. And I think in Starfinder, we're trying yeah. to be very cognizant of that. Like, we don't want to see this one species as always evil. And they can only be evil. I, I talked about this earlier. Like that is that has racist undertones. We don't want to see that in our game. But I do. So, you know, individual Vesks might not agree with their government or they might live somewhere else. They don't live in the Vescarium. They were born and raised elsewhere because the galaxy yeah. is pretty multicultural uh, in Starfinder. But you know, it's so there are, and even if you look at near space, there are some high despots who are trying to use their position to affect change. Like there's, uh, you know, Tarek Kahan and uh, the actual Patra high despot who wants to try to get back to his homeland, possibly to, you know, maybe get a little more control and independence for the Patras there. You know, there's one that that is very, um, very very benevolent, not benevolent, that's not the right word, but just wants to work with leaders from the indigenous species in, you know, on her world that she commands. So it's not great, but I feel like even within the Vescarium, there's those seeds of hope. So it it is, I do think it's always been an evil empire, absolutely. But it is not just this, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, cackling evil villain with, you know, twirling the mustache. Like there's some nuance there, I like to think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Joe, we have a question here from Rhino Rhinox Rex. How did the evolutionist mm -hmm. playtest go? Uh, it is still going. Yeah, that's a great question. The evolutionist playtest is moving along swiftly. Uh, we've gotten a fair number of surveys back. We could always use more. So if you have had the chance to go to Starfinder, visit StarfinderPlaytest.com should redirect you, or if you Google it, it'll it'll be up there on the list. Um, and that's where you can grab a PDF for the new class, the, Evolu the evolutionist. Um, and you can try it out uh, in an AP or in a Starfinder uh, Society scenario or just a home game and let us know what you think. So it's it's going well. We have gotten a lot of feedback about the complexity of the class, about certain you know specific aspects of its uh, ability to attack and uh, function sort of outside of combat, things like that. Lots to look into. So. 
there's definitely going to be a lot of changes to this class that are going to make it even better. So uh, I'm already excited. We, we got to share some of the uh, art, or excuse me, some sketches for what the iconic will look like. Um, so if you haven't gotten to see that, that's on our blog, uh, one of our recent vlogs about the playtest. And we will have one coming up too that will let you know kind of where we're, what we're looking at uh, potentially changing um, and how the, how the playtest did go. Uh, it, it ends next Friday, so you have the rest of this weekend and a little bit of next week too. And honestly, if you sneak in some play on Saturday and Sunday and you wanna fill out a survey, I probably won't close the official survey until Monday morning uh, Pacific time. So you can sneak in there and, and get us some feedback. Uh, always really appreciated. We also have forums that you can let us know what you think, but getting a lot of really good uh, constructive feedback there. So thanks, that gives me an opportunity to say thank you to everyone who is participating in that um, and checking it out. Now, John, this is an unfair question because you don't you don't get to make the adventure. Oh, that's pass, the best type. But but, but yeah. this but this has got your name all over it, so I have to ask you. This is from River Ray. Is there any chance of an urban corporate intrigue shadowrun style AP at some point? Ooh. I think there's always the possibility of that sort of thing. One of the one of the considerations whenever we're thinking about adventure paths, um, especially with when we're considering like a three volume or a six volume uh, AP is like, what what does the arc of it look like? What is the room for the characters to grow over the course of things? And also how long can we keep a certain theme fresh, but also consistently accessible within the course of the AP? Um, like for example, if we did uh, a six, if we did a six part AP that was entirely about using the Starship chase mechanic, um from from starship <laughs> operation manual like the first volume you'd be like yeah we're, we're doing this thing and after that you'd be like oh gosh we're, we're still using these chase rules aren't we and by volume six yeah. you you'd probably be done with it um for sure it's the same sort of question when we look at something like a shadow run-esque uh corporate urban intriguey etc uh sort of ap is what's going to be the right size for it and uh how are we going to make sure that we can keep that theme consistent from start to finish but uh there are so many locations in starfinder that are great fit for it and starfinder is so versatile a system and setting that we can absolutely make that sort of thing work i mean for those of you that are out there that don't know the reason why i asked this is because john is our biggest shadow uh shadow run fan in the group you cannot see it but off camera to the right is his stack of Shadowrun books, which are like the boxes are on top of his, uh, in, in his office there, right? Yeah, so anyway. Um, uh, Jenny, we have a question here, which I think is about scenarios. So that sounds like an OP issue. Sure, yeah, uh, I, can, I can take How that. crazy will the drift, the drift crisis uh, affect scenarios? Is there, are we linking those together? How, how is the drift crisis and the, and the OP going to intersect? So, um, and some of this will have to be with my my successor who is coming on board very soon to uh, to help as I as I transition fully into the star chamber and kind of step a little step back from OP and let let uh, that person step up. Um, and I promise they're they're awesome. You'll you'll see soon, but they are awesome. So, I I do think there will be some Starfinders, uh, some sorry, some Drift Crisis tie-ins with the Starfinder Society. I would expect anywhere from like two to four scenarios in a season. So you'll get a few, like you'll get a chance to play with it. It will definitely affect the society because 
I mean, they travel throughout the galaxy, you know, researching and exploring, adventuring. So the drift is something very important to them. Uh, if anything happens with it or gets weird, it, it is going to be a problem that they need to to deal with, or at least they have to encounter and react to. Uh, but it will not be like for those of you who remember the old Pathfinder Society campaigns, uh, like the seasons, it will not be year of the drift crisis. Like we will not have year of nothing but drift crisis. We won't we won't do that. It's cool. Uh, we also want the APs to explore it some because they're you know, we're going to have some other adventures that that get to play in those waters, not just org play. I've got a quick question that I can answer here. Uh... This is from the How Wizard. Has there been any talk of a type of time travel adventure path? Possibly the PCs have limited time in the, in their in this other time before they get pulled back. Yes. Moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, I can't reveal anything, but we've talked about time. Honestly, and to give a more serious answer, um, the the uh, the the precog opened up a lot of this. I think for us. The, the precog specifically gets their powers from these sort of crisis moments in in the time stream. Uh, what are those called, Joe? I've forgotten. Uh, anchors, anchors is is the That's class it. feature that that yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have these sort of anchors that 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 uh, throughout the timeline that maybe they they resulted in their powers, and we have more spells that are kind of timey wimey, and so that kind of opened it up so that in in upcoming projects. I've already I've already spoiled a lot, so I don't want to spoil anymore. But just keep your eye open because I think you're going to see something that you're really going to like. Uh, my drift crisis, guys. Uh, Joe and John, was the Starstone influenced or changed by the drift crisis? That is a really great question. Uh, that is something you know when. So we've talked a little bit about how the drift crisis is something's going wrong with the drift, and we know that the Starstone. Part of its power is uh, creating a, uh, a point to which you can travel most quickly using the drift, which is our hyperspace sort of plane that allows faster than light travel. Uh, so is it influenced or changed by the drift? Maybe the Starstone itself is or is not. But certainly the fact that Absalom Station as a nexus point for faster than light travel, there will be things going on there. Uh, whether it's affected or not affected. I'm being so cagey right now because there's just so, so much cool <laughs> stuff we've done. And it's such a great, insightful question uh, that would, you know, if I answered it fully, would spoil years worth of, of information. So I think it's just, uh, we'll, we'll see exactly how. The answer is yes. And uh, the how we'll have more details about it as we go forward. But we're very excited about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah Joe, Joe's definitely answered that too. Uh, I like I, I can't add anything more to Joe's answer other than to say that what if you if you look to anything in our setting that deals with the drift and you say but might the drift crisis have done something to this uh, then that is the sort of like introspection and suspicion and questioning yeah. and possibilities uh, that has driven us through this entire project and the answer is probably uh, yeah. <laughs> and on top I, of that, I, things I, that you would not have expected at all, like, uh, <laughs> it's like, wait, that's involved too? Like, how did that, how did that get affected? But you'll see. I would really love to see uh, authors and players and GMs out there writing Starfinder Infinite stuff that just spins off of the Drift Crisis. Because there's a whole galaxy of stories 
hooked into the drift crisis and we, we can't tell all of them, you know, and, and, and yeah. there's so much stuff that we just don't have time to do and you guys can do better than us. So I would love to see that. I also want to see Starfinder fan fiction. So if y'all like our NPCs in our setting, please, <laughs> please write it and tag me on Twitter because I want to read it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can totally do that. You can do fan fiction. You can do non-game rule stuff. Like absolutely. I think Aaron, Aaron Shanks is on Twitter saying, okay, I want to see like a like a bar a bar write review write-ups for everywhere in the pack. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like give us give us menus and and your your Uber reviews and everything. Like I want to <laughs> see everything, all that pop culture stuff uh, for the stuff for Starfinder. All right, well, we are almost out of time. We'll maybe do one more question that everybody can get an answer onto. Um, this is from Turin DM. Is there any new menace that we could see in the future? We have seen Space Undeads, we had the Swarm. If you can think of some sort of big bad guy or some kind of new threat that would come to Starfinder, what do you think that might look like? Uh, Joe or John, who wants to start? Let's we'll start with Joe. Okay. Um... I would say, you know, I think we so we have a lot of threats in the core rulebook, and uh, we've used a lot of them, and we'll we will continue to use a lot of them. But we're always thinking about what new threats there might be, and I and I want to leave space for my colleagues here to answer uh, some things that I suspect they will bring up. But I but I will say something like the drift crisis presents uh, a really interesting new spin on threats, in that this is not necessarily there's there's many rumors about what the drift crisis is and what caused it and you know what might solve it but this is this is something that's affecting everyone in a very threatening way without having especially at the outset an, an identifiable threat i cannot talk an identifiable threat um so yeah. we we've been thinking about that a lot like how can we how can we inject uh stake high stakes into this setting uh both using our existing threats and also new Threats or just, or just events like this that can pose a threat uh, by without being like someone twirling their mustache and, and looming over the packed worlds with their hands, you know, all day. So I, I'm excited to hear the other answers to this question. So I will zip it. Joe? I mean, uh, John? I always enjoy, um, like, we have lots and lots of evil um threats out there already but i always enjoy uh exploring threats that are a little bit more morally ambiguous yet equally deadly or threatening um sure so i i personally love seeing you know neutral aligned organizations that we could uh present as antagonists um and they sure. can be equally viable big bads so that's where my mind tends to go yeah yeah hell knights that sort of thing me? Hell Knights? No, never. That would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, what do you think? Oh, is it my turn? Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah. I I think I definitely want to see more, like, whether they're evil or just kind of, like, morally questionable organizations, I, I would like to see more of that for sure. We need more, like, antagonistic forces in the setting that we have them, but I, I want to really see us, like, start focusing on them. I mean, for me, I want to see, like, big, big, like, starship battles and, like, people fighting and mechs and, like, all kinds of dramatic stuff happening. So that's that's kind of, like, where, where my mind goes. But uh, all of this sounds like it would be super cool. So when when we have talked about the starfinder the starfinder core rulebook and the books that we talk about we're always very careful to talk about the galaxy 
it's kind of the edge of our play field, right? Like the drift, uh, but I would like to see a threat from beyond that galaxy. Like let's get some kind of intergalactic, really alien threat. Now we talk a lot about mustache twirling bad guys and we talk about it in a kind of a dismissive way, but, but I, I think that there's a really great use for really just 100% evil creatures not not that not in a, a human relatable way but something that is so kind of inhuman and destructive that it just doesn't care or understand people uh and and to us we're just you know we're we're just ants underneath its boot and and that that kind of horrifying scary menace from an outside from beyond the galaxy I would I would spring that on my players in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Trying to get I mean, some that's... some real fear of God in them. Yeah, like uh, just to riff off of that a little bit. Um, yeah, like alignment is always a situation where it's going to open debate or or you know yeah. like wait hang on. But um, when it comes to extremely alien interpretations of morality and understanding you know, boundaries, society, whatever, the idea of like the so extremely alien beyond the stars entity that is nonetheless like good aligned yet expresses good in some way that we would look at and go no no you've got it all wrong uh could be <laughs> right. interesting like where wipes comes through and is just wiping out everything because none of us measure up to its understanding of good um and the iomadeans are like wait but we're on your side um and shaylin's <laughs> limited following is like but how about us we're the best people around uh, and they're just like nope uh, <laughs> another thing we yeah another thing we've talked about on the team a lot is um we have these awesome galactic level threats uh, we like we want to put more faces to these threats. We want to have more individuals, more persistent uh, right. people you can point to and say these are these are the threat here in this space or maybe in multiple places. Um, so that's a kind of new menace that you might look to uh, in upcoming products. Yeah, good. Well, listen, I want to thank all of my fantastic colleagues uh, for joining me, uh, Joe and John and Jenny, the J team. Uh, we <laughs> -team. Uh, were very lucky <laughs> to get this game to you. Um, and, and, um, and also thank you to all of the freelancers and fans and GMs and players who have been in chat, like spamming us with purple hearts. Like we, we love all of you people. Like I cannot, like we're, we're, we, we love all of you and, and we're so grateful to be on, that's right. Uh, to be on the same team with you all working towards <laughs> a better hobby and a better industry. Um, Listen, stick with the channel. Uh, Penny for a Tale, the Pathfinder Sundered Waves is coming up next. And if you like what you are hearing about, uh, check your local game store for or, or go to paizo.com. If you want a free PDF for every hardback you buy, you get that with subscriptions. And and I, I love reading my books on PDF on my, on my readers. So uh, think about that. And uh, thanks again. And we will see you next time.